2: People like rice. Rice is great if you're hungry and you want 2000 of something.
1: In my it drops.
2: It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. This is the season for that. And we have cookbook coming up that is so unusual It, it you know food is political it's cultural it's political and we see various ways that people jump in and do political things with food and by that I mean they they pick out a segment of the population that needs help and they say I'm gonna help that segment of the population and they go out and they volunteer to get everybody to do it and then there are people who are downright political and that's who we're going to talk to, Julia Tershin, who's done a cookbook called Feed the Resistance. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, we're going to get to that. There we go. Girls, girls, who run the world? Girls, girls, who run the world? 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 Girls, so my treasured food buddies, I want to talk also about these uh, kind of low-cal but delicious appetizers because I'm one of these people who thinks a little planning If I'm going to have a dessert or something really luscious or I want to drink more wine, I'm swapping calories. And... Who wants to get hit over the head with something giant before a big meal? So, I've got this idea. We're going to talk about that too. We've got a wine. My treasured food buddies are here. You know, I'm madly in love with these people. Senior contributors, Chris Prosperi and wine broker Mark Raymond. Our senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. Hey, everybody. Hi, Faith. Hey, Faith. Faith. So, here's appetizers are so much fun to have because. Well, is it just that you like them, or is it that you need a little something because you're probably going to have a little wine or a cocktail, and you need a little food in your stomach? Which is it for you?
3: I think it's both. I love them, and I love to have a
4: little something to nosh on while, you know, we're getting the, getting the party started. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm not a big eater in the beginning, but I do like to have one or two, and I have
2: favorites. Oh, lay it on me. Okay.
4: There. And it's cheesy. I know it's cheesy, but cheesy easy, like, like literally cheesy. Uh, or? No, it's 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 one of those, and it's pigs in a blanket. Mm. And I know Aww. people are gonna be like, yeah. I can't believe he like. I don't like those. I love them. With a little mustard to dip in. Yeah. And
2: Has, have you ever found anyone who doesn't like pigs in a blanket? I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know. I think know. that's how you know it's going to be a fun party. It's a,
4: and they come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once exactly. the pigs and blanket come yeah. out, the party a, can a, start. A
2: thousand years ago, when I was married, I had them at my wedding. I mean, that's oh. how. That's how much I liked <laughs> See, them. I thought now they were, were just. You can't have a wedding without no, pigs in a blanket. Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. Here's here's the idea for you folks. So I'm someone who swaps calories. And I'm also someone who doesn't believe, this is kind of a Julia Child thing where she would put out goldfish, no matter what the meal was, no matter what the occasion, a bowl of goldfish, the little fish crackers, that's it. That's all she served with drinks. And really essentially that's all you need. They're terrific and there you go. So my thing is don't fill people up on a lot of crazy, crazy stuff. Unless it's mostly an hors d'oeuvre party, then that's a different story. But this is just me. I'd rather put my... You know, I try and think a little bit. Who doesn't gain weight over the holidays? So <laughs> I'm trying to think of, well, if I'm going to have dessert or I'm not going to have dessert. <laughs> so there's this idea of taking little glasses. I, I don't know if we talked about this before. I don't but think so. Taking little glasses and putting a dip in the bottom of the glass... And then you put your cut-up vegetables, you know, stuck right into the dip, which is like one to two inches in the bottom of the glass, say mm-hmm. two inches. And it could be a hummus, it could be a sour cream dip, it could be a yogurt dip, whatever you want—a salsa, whatever you want it to be. And then you stick in either the the carrots or the endive, the onion, the pieces of strips of chicken, whatever you want in your cup that these people hold. And they just walk around, so a drink in one hand and this in the other, and then they dip it in it's not too much food because you're going to have a big meal, presumably. Yeah. And also, it means I get to have dessert. That's another advantage.
4: You just came up with individualized crudité. I love it. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, those big platters people put out, I just feel so bad for the platters yeah. because they, they look gorgeous and they have all these beautiful vegetables on them. And people, like, grab a carrot and walk away. And you're like – and then at the party, everyone's being ushered into the dining room and the dinner's being served. And you look back and there's nothing taken off the platter except for maybe two this way you're eating it and you got your own little dip so now you're not worried about people double dipping it's
3: absolutely yeah there you go
2: can I just jump in and say though I don't want to be given credit for this you know falsely (laughs) I started reading about this in a variety of you know how I'm always cruising through all these food publications online Mm -hmm. and in print and I started stumbling on some people who were doing this. So this is not an idea that's original to me. I just love the idea that these other bloggers and journalists came up with. So I just want to be fair. Yeah, you know, fair about the inspiration. Yeah, really is. Good idea. So I mean, I have put out a platter of bacon.
4: <laughs> Here's my thing. <laughs> no, you haven't. No, <laughs> as a peasant hors d'oeuvre. Oh yes. Just bacon.
2: Because you know how. <laughs> mark i love it doesn't champagne or sparkling wine love fat oh and absolutely salts? so what is the best fat and salt strips oh, of bacon yeah. so i made up a extra whole pound crispy. of bacon extra crispy put it on a platter put it on the counter and started pouring the sparkling wine for people and there you just helped oh, yourself I love to it. it. I love so it. i did it and they you know they were the guests that night they were just Two extra guests, so there were four of us, and they were a little sparing in their eating of the bacon, and I thought, hmm, is this a failure? And then somehow during the dinner, it came out that they had this, they were on statins, they had this super high <laughs> cholesterol, <laughs> and I thought, no oh, <laughs> no, this is oh, not the thing not to do. No, not turkey bacon. So it <laughs> wasn't necessarily bacon. a fail, but... <laughs> I don't know what it's to call it. it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, the new form that has to go out before dinner. Yes. You no, know, can you give us your health food issues? Allerg-
3: <laughs> food allergies? Uh
4: yeah, um, yeah. cholesterol
3: intake? Cholesterol. <laughs> intake. Yep, yep. How
2: much do you weigh? Uh. So, around the holidays, what's your vibe? Are are you so crazy busy, that everything gets done at the last minute? Are you planning, people? What What is happening?
4: Oh, I'm man. last minute. Um, I, am I, so, am. I'm. I am so last minute. I'm the reason the stores are open Christmas Eve to like, 2 in the morning or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I am that guy.
3: Are you I'm the, with you. I'm with you. <laughs> you are too, yeah, I am, in yeah. In
2: terms I, of food also? Yeah.
3: yeah. I mean, wines, for me, I'm lucky, wines are there already. So yeah. it's, it's not
2: of what you do, yeah. So you're, you're I'm not, not planning it. You have, I'm not it. You it. have a bunch have to it. choose
3: Yeah. From. So, okay. but if I I want something special and I don't necessarily have it, then yeah, I have. It takes a little planning. Can
2: I ask you what you start with? Do you start with the wine? I, my my dear friend Bob Finn at Mount Carmel Wines. He starts with the wine and builds the meal around the special wine. What do you do? Do you do the reverse?
3: I do the reverse because we have traditional foods that we serve. So I'm always trying to think of different wines to. So my my mother in law she makes these uh, cannelloni's. It's a crepe that's stuffed with mm-hmm. ham and ricotta and chicken, and then there's a red and white sauce that's served over mm-hmm. the top of
2: it. She, if you ever do a seafood one,
3: well, on Christmas Eve, my mother oh. does a seafood. Seven dishes. She does a seafood casserole <gasps> that is just. Oh, to What's die good for.
2: about that? Oh, what?
3: everything. I mean, it's got shrimp, it's got lobster, it's got scallops. And just oh. loads of butter. Is it a cream sauce in there? No, okay. it's just broiled with butter oh. and so lemon. So like
2: baked breadcrumbs on the top. So it's like baked stuffed shrimp. It's in like other a words.
3: baked stuffed shrimp, yeah, oh, but a casserole. But in a casserole, wow, yeah. Yeah. that's even better than It's so shrimp. rich and so delicious.
2: Robin,
5: what about you? Are you a good planner for the holidays? Yeah, sure. At least like a week or two ahead, I know exactly what's going on. And we have little kids, so we tend to be informal. Um, one year we even did. It was a mild uh, winter, so we smoked a pork shoulder outside and had pulled pork for Christmas dinner. And had you planned that ahead
2: of time, or was this kind of a last-minute decision? Well, we,
5: we had to plan ahead of time because we had to make sure that the weather outside was going to be mild enough that our pork would cook in a good amount of time, you know, 12 hours or however long. We had an alternative plan, and that was to do um, the pork shoulder in the crock pot. So even if it, you know, if there was some crazy weather and we had to abandon the idea of smoking outside, we had the crock pot. So this gets to this
2: topic of what feels festive for the holidays to people. Do you feel that you can do something that you would ordinarily do on a weekend, or does it have to be something special? Mm. because it's the quote-unquote holiday, whatever your holiday might be. It might be Hanukkah, it might be Kwanzaa, it might be (laughs) Three Kings, (laughs) it might be Mm -hmm. Christmas. Whatever it is, your holiday, you know, a lot of times we get led to traditional foods of that holiday. But if it's not that, what is the thing that guides you? Does it have to be special? I do tend to think I have to do something special.
3: I do too.
4: Yeah. I do too. I, and, I, and I think I fall a little on both I, I'm just so used to traditional my mom's Austrian so we had this I think we've had the same thing forever for Christmas we have Christmas goose braised red cabbage mm. I mean these are just again maybe not traditional American but it's tradition for my family because that's all we've ever had yeah. and I think that makes it special so yeah. I guess what I'm uh, traditional. I guess what I'm saying is traditional can be special right if you don't do it every day, right? And that's our traditional Christmas. And I don't know. I don't. I think I'd feel weird if she broke out a cookbook and made something new. Do you know what I mean? How like many? I know what we're, we're having on Christmas dinner because that's what we have on Christmas dinner.
2: Now, I happen to, you know, I would like to drive over to Chris's house and have <laughs> that goose because I'm a goose nut. I think it is so delicious. Mm-hmm. It's not the easiest thing to cook, it turns out. But but Chris and it's there's not a tremendous amount of meat on goose. Yeah. So does your mother cook a couple of them to feed everybody, or does the one goose go the one around? One
4: goose goes around, and you know we have other things, and and that's the thing. You have a lot of sides, and right. Just, so that's yeah. the
2: reverse of how we yeah. do it. We do it with it, the the um, protein is the primary thing, uh, the meat, yeah. and then the sides are secondary. And yeah. you're saying at your event there's not so much goose, so yeah. that's maybe secondary, secondary and the sides, the sides are primary and
4: then the and then the goose is special because you have a couple little slices and and it is really filling right goose is very it's high in fat and it's just yeah. so, so, so yummy rich. it's Delicious. rich food yeah so you don't need a lot but i don't know you just the, all the sides just kind of make it and it's all like i said it's all the traditional austrian sides oh. so i can't nice.
5: get my kids yeah. to eat goose so i don't even try that <laughs> you don't even tell them
2: <laughs> but you know we i'm not for fooling chicken. kids yeah. but but my friend got her kids just decided out of the blue that they didn't eat fish and so she would make them fish and say it was chicken of the sea and they ate it happily (laughs) so I mean I really respect kids taste buds because they're weird when you're little they're not kidding they They don't like things and they're not faking it So, I don't mean to trick them, but sometimes there's a psychological. It's a funny looking chicken. (laughs) It's Christmas chicken. It's Christmas chicken. This is the (laughs) Christmas chicken. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Oh, we have lots more holiday stuff uh, coming your way. And don't forget in our third segment, Julia Tertian is joining us. She has done the most unusual political cookbook. It's called Feed the Resistance. So you're gonna hear some great recipes for small groups or large groups of protesters, <laughs> including yourself. Okay, we're gonna to get to that. More mouth watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you'll make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We are online now at foodschmooze.org and we'll be right back.
4: It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. on your own front door... Beans and cornbread Beans and cornbread Beans and cornbread Beans and cornbread had a fight Beans knocked cornbread out of sight Beans. Cornbread said, now that's all right Beans. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night Ah!
2: I'm Faith Middleton, and we love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers, and you know about the podcast. Just sign up for it once at foodschmooze.org. While you're there signing up, you will also see our curated food, wine, and cocktail recommendations, so have a look at that. We've got a wine tasting ahead for you, and once again, it's a vineyard in Chile. And we can find some, not only affordable wines, but wines that are made in the old-fashioned way, in a kind of handmade way, where the grapes are hand-picked, and they're not doing crazy things, or putting in crazy additives, and that's what this wine is. So it's a Santa Carolina Cabernet Sauvignon, goes with so many kinds of things. This one is a reserve Familia, they call it. Mark Raymond discovered this for us. Mark, tell us about it.
3: So this is a wine that uh, comes from very specific vineyards in Chile, um, some of their older vines, and spends a little bit more time in oak um, than their classic reserva level. So this is Reserve de Familia Cabernet Sauvignon. This recipe spends about 15 months in new French oak, and it's just a really luscious, delicious sort of blackberry and boysenberry and then with a little bit of chocolate like dark chocolate notes to it. Mm. I love the little subtle spice and then the oak is just so well so blended in.
2: This is around would you say around $20?
3: Under $20. Okay, so no more than $20
2: no more than 20 so probably 18 to 20 depending on where you get it exactly. I mean, this is on our website we've got a picture of the label we tell you what to say to your wine store call ahead wine stores can't stock everything but they should have it for you within 24 hours they just call the distributor we'll tell you what to say so they can easily look it up in the book and tell you if they've got it that's all at foodschmooze.org Chris we like this I love
4: this but I have a question because now we're going a little higher in price Right. And I have friends that are a little intimidated when they go that high, so they always buy the same thing. So in other words, if they're going to spend 20 plus dollars on a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon, they're going to go to California. So I guess I want to be able to tell what is the is there a major difference between the flavors in a Cabernet Sauvignon grown in Chile or one grown in California? Is it similar? Is one better than the other? Are they cousins, kind of? Or they're going to be stylistically different, but okay. there are going to be some similarities as well.
3: So you're going to have that deep dark berry and plum fruit that you get, but your Napa Valley and Uh, Sonoma and Washington State have their distinct flavor characteristics. Mm -hmm. And then when you get down to South America, especially Chile, the pepper notes seem to pop a little bit more. Okay. That's not bad. Though. And, and it's, and, But, I mean, the fruit is still there. It's very vibrant. Um, it's very lush and so welcoming. I love this wine. Just to just stick my nose in there, you get a beautiful bouquet.
2: So here's what I notice about these pepper notes that Mark is talking about. This is... A quality that can make it very food friendly mm-hmm, whereas okay. a kind of super fruit forward wine that you might get from California and some other places not quite as, as food. food friendly um. you know it is almost the way that Italian and French wines are more food friendly but uh, this, this Chilean wine is that way, too, don't don't you think? Yes. And it, I, the and food's I, better because of the wine, the wine's better because of the because food. Because
3: of the food. They, they, they complement each other very well. And I just love the balance. So you think of when you taste a wine and it hits the palate and you think, okay, does the fruit characteristic jump out too much or does the tannin characteristic mm-hmm. jump out too much? This just kind of, it's seamless from front to back. No, that's a great description. And then you have that that echo that you always speak of, and that just kind of, it echoes on your palate for a while, and you say, oh, this is still with me. I kind of like this. Yeah.
2: It's very good for the money. And with the holidays coming up, we chose one that was, uh, you'll see on our website, we have lots of 10 Dollar wines on there. So if you're having sure. a crowd, feel free. Yeah. This is a little bit up. So it's, you know, 18 19 or $20 a bottle, depending on your store. And um, it is, uh, it's nice for the holidays, I think, if mm-hmm. you're having uh, just a few people over or just the two of you, whatever you want. I think that's a good price point and it's good quality. So Santa Carolina, go to foodschmooze.org. I want to talk with the three of you about this story that was not so long ago in the New York Times. And it is the earliest record of wine being made that they have found so far. And here's what happened in Georgia, in in the Russian region, in Georgia. This is in the South Caucasus Mountains between Europe and the Middle East. This is now apparently the first evidence of the first humans to conquer the common grape, And they just learned that uh, dating back to 6,000 BC, they found some pottery stuff, and suddenly they they took it to the University of Pennsylvania and they analyzed it with this, you know, kind of (laughs) Star Trek (laughs) spectrometer thing. (laughs) And I'll be darned, it dated to s- before that it was 7000 BC this is the first time 6000 BC wow. traces That's of it on the pottery
5: yeah people were enjoying wine for oh, like a thousand more years than we thought. than we than thought, I, thought. <laughs> I mean it's that really That makes me happy just... knowing that yeah they they celebrate it. <laughs> that makes me happy it makes
3: me that. feel good about yeah. drinking
5: yeah <laughs> I I mean, what you
2: do,
3: representing wine. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Somebody said, you know, when they were doing this, there's always a um, a a no person, and they said, you know, they could have been just having grape juice, but I I think no, 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 they're they're not. They're they were making wine. Mm
3: -hmm. It's
2: very Mm -hmm. it's very clear, and it was on many traces of the pottery. So they think there were these vessels that they kept this wine in. Isn't that that's amazing, crazy. that date a 1,000 years so. earlier than we thought, 5,000 B.C.? Just extraordinary.
5: Yeah, that's evolution that's at its best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, totally.
2: Well, don't we go through life, I know I do, thinking, who ate the first lobster? Who who discovered that you could eat an oyster? Yeah. You know, what? who what, put chocolate who and f- peanut butter together? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what, what genius. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's just a shame that there's no record of the people who did this.
3: Who decided to turn peanut into butter? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was because probably it an accident. Good, yeah, mashed it wasn't or... good enough just to eat the peanuts. Yeah, now we gotta make it up. into a butter.
2: When when that so story gets told bread. about the the first hamburger, it always comes with the story. You know, mm-hmm. they there's a debate, they say it's Louis Lunch in New oh, Haven, sure. Connecticut there's a debate and they say it happened because this man was catching a train and he went in and said can you do something with this this chopped meat so i can take it with me on the train i've got to go and they put it on bread and the hamburger there was born, born. that's wow. the story that's, that's wow. That's wow. that gets, that's that gets told yeah. Yeah. so you can see that the motivation was carry away how can we help you carry this away mm. How did everything else get discovered? I
4: think wine must have been, how How do we get this to last longer, right? How do we get it to not... Ooh, yeah.
2: Fermentation. Yeah,
4: fermentation. Ah. Storing
2: uh-huh. it in Storing
4: the end it. for yeah. a cool,
3: yeah. cool dark place. And, yeah.
2: and did people before that... I mean, to what extent did people want to enter another realm, as in um, get high, but get high for uh, religious alcohol. purposes? Sure. So, hmm. so they were probably... Using various, um, you know, mushrooms mm-hmm. and whatnot sure. to fuel these religious ceremonies—that was usually the case. Or
3: for and, medicinal purposes. Yeah. Yep. You know. And
2: and then they discover what alcohol can do. Mm-hmm. So it, you just wonder. Yeah. But I'm constantly trying first. to figure out who's who was the first person to discover this weird, weird thing.
5: Yeah. We just want to know who to thank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, There was somebody. Hey, can
2: I do... We're running out of time for the Mm -hmm. holidays. Can I do a quick gift? Ooh, gift ideas. Because this is... Preserved lemons take weeks to, you know, get good in the jar. Yep. This is 24-hour preserved lemons.
4: That you can make yourself? Yeah. What?
2: Okay, yeah. I I saw this years ago in Cook's Illustrated. And I cut it out, and I was going through files the other day, and it came out and I thought, I'm gonna make this for people for the holidays. So you just slice up, we have this at foodschmooze.org right Mm -hmm. now. You slice up some lemons, very thin, and in a bowl you toss them with a few tablespoons of sugar and salt, and then you just stir in a certain amount of extra virgin olive oil. We give you the recipe. You stir it up, And then pack it into either a bowl or a jar, cover, and refrigerate it for 24 hours. You can then put a label on that and give it to people, and they can chop it up, put it in with their fish, their rice, their chicken. I always see recipes for
4: it, and I never have them on hand, and I'm like, oh, that takes weeks to make. And also so expensive to buy. I buy them, and it
2: kills me every time, but they're so good. Are they as good as the long-preserved? No. Who cares But at they're this point? very good. They're mm. very, very good. So um, 24-hour preserved lemons as the ideal gift at foodschmooze.org. I like Let me Ooh,
4: Love it. Mm-hmm. Going to do it. <laughs>
2: I'm going to yeah. do it. A
4: food, food's always been my gift. I just made um, sauerkraut. Mm-hmm. Oh, so now well, I am going to say yeah, that, I made Chris. You usually get sauerkraut. And then I already bought my jars. Um, my chef made hot sauce. He pickles, He this year I think he did about nine gallons of peppers that he pickled, and he's going to start pureeing them any day now wow. and start bottling it, and we give that as gifts. So, yeah, I just think it's a more personalized gift. It yeah. doesn't cost you as much. And I think people, every time they open that jar of hot sauce or get some sauerkraut or
3: yeah. whatever it is,
4: they think of you.
2: And these are things you can do quickly, Mark.
3: You know what I do is a chimichurri. Everybody yeah. loves and our chimichurri. And no one knows chimichurri. what chimichurri is. Put it in a little jar? Yeah, put yeah. it in little jars. Yeah, and keep it in the fridge. It is just fantastic to open that up during oh, the winter. And what do you steak? serve it
2: with? Oh, Ooh. you put
3: it on pork. You put it on chicken. What's egg. in it? Oh, it's got parsley. It's got garlic. It's got smoked paprika. It's got lemon zest, red wine. Well, sometimes they use uh, balsamic vinegar, but some sort of vinegar. Um. Yeah. And and she'll be pepper. No. Not. In that no. One. No. 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 Okay. No. You know what's wow.
5: great about that is that if you leave the house before work and you forgot to you don't know, marinate the chicken or whatever mm. it is before you left for work, you come back and you only have that bland thing to look forward to. With you have some ready-made chimichurri. You
4: yeah. Want,
5: who cares that you forgot to marinate yeah, the meat? you you're just, you're that right that over top. the
4: top after it comes out of the oven. Yeah, absolutely. Off the mm-hmm. And it doesn't really. matter what. It's good with every. It's good yeah. on vegetables.
2: So, so quick. I love yeah, that. So yeah. easy. Ah, the author of How Food is Political. She's done a cookbook. I don't think anybody's done this before. It's called Feed the Resistance. Recipes, hers and other contributors, and some of them are so good, whether you're doing it for a few people or a whole bunch of people who are resisting something politically. (laughs) Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Christmas cookies, sugar I should do like those Christmas cookies, babe the Ones that look like Santa Claus Christmas trees and trails, you I should do like those Christmas cookies, babe I should do like those Christmas cookies, babe
2: Faith Middleton, you can sign up for our free podcast, which means a copy of the show, and it will arrive. You sign up for it once, it arrives in your inbox. You know, if you know this already, forgive me. There are people who don't know how this works, so you just go to o-r-g S-C-H like school, M-O-O like the cow, z. o-r-g and sign up for it just once and then we don't bother you at all. We just want you to be able to listen on your time. This is why more and more people are signing up for podcasts. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province. Mark Raymond, our senior contributor, also a wine broker. I shouldn't say I'm with Alex Province because he's on his way to Spain as we speak. <laughs> and we're, we're and happy. I don't know why. It. I'm just so used happy to him, him being here, and we miss him. Okay, here's the thing I want to say to you because I'm excited about this guest. Food is. This is no surprise to you. Food is cultural. It can be political, and if you think about it. We're talking about Meals on Wheels. They feed the elderly. God's love we deliver. They feed those at home who are sick, especially with AIDS. Uh, The celebrated chef, Jose Andres, flew into storm ravaged Puerto Rico to help feed hungry people there because they had nothing. And he ended up staying there to cook and feed and set up networks serving millions of meals to Puerto Ricans. So when disaster strikes, some among us want to give with food or inspire with food. Remember uh, Chef Michael Lomonaco, he worked feeding people all through 9-11 in New York. And Connecticut chef Michel Nishan, his work here to get double food stamps for people at farmer's markets who couldn't afford the high price of fresh food and would sometimes stand at either in the supermarket or at these food markets and cry because their food stamps, the snap stamps, they didn't have enough to afford sweet potatoes or or fresh vegetables. And so he said, we're not only going to make that happen, we're going to double the value of your stamps. So you see how food tends to be, at least in this respect, political. So all to say, we have a new and thoroughly enjoyable entry into the food politics scene that would be julia tertian and her new cookbook called feed the resistance recipes for feeding both small and large groups of political activists whether they are uh, gathering to work on getting out the vote to say save obamacare to protest for or against the current administration's policies usually against the current administration's policies I'm not sure. We were talking about this before the show. I'm not sure anybody's ever done a book like this before. And so I just think it's so original. Julia Tertian, author of Feed the Resistance. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Faith. I'm so excited to talk to you. About okay. That. So the obvious first question, because we can't get by this <laughs> before we get to Great Things to Eat, is what was happening in your life where the moment arrives and you say, I know what I should do.
0: Yeah, it was last February. You know, I felt all sorts of things after the election, scared, angry, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I thought, what can I contribute that would be productive and that could be positive? I wrote my editor. I was working on another cookbook. I was on deadline for it. And I wrote her and I said, let's do a different book right now. And I want to bring in all these contributors. Also, let's give all the money to the ACLU.
2: So, you know, I asked her. Did she? she to well, if you know no. publishing that, people will be exactly. shouting with laughter. Um, <laughs> exactly. So did she, you know, she said first,
1: yes. yeah. she, <laughs> isn't
0: that amazing? It was a great moment. And, you know, I felt a real sense of urgency about the book. You know, I felt like it was really born from the momentum, you know, after the Women's March across the world and, you know, all of this energy being directed towards the resistance.
2: Well, who's the book aimed at these recipes? Who who are you talking to?
0: Honestly, it's for everyone. It does not matter at all who you voted for, what your actual politics are, because at the end of the day, the book is about food and it's about community. It's about nurturing community and feeding the people around you. And that could be your family. Mm -hmm. It's really anyone. And all the food in the book is affordable, it's easy to make, it's really easy to share. This is food you can really serve people, um, you well, know, and to bring people around a
2: table. It has that kind of design. It almost looks like, you know, sort of a brown paper bag on the outside. Mm-hmm. It's just a great, great design. So, Chris, Thank Chris Raspberry, it, it, It's genius.
4: I have a friend who, right after uh, the election, started a social justice group. And she had trouble bringing people around, and then she decided that she would do it around a dinner table, and now it's really popular.
2: So let me try this, how many people here uh, I happen to be a quinoa lover. You know, oh, yeah. I know oh, it's a trendy it. thing, but I just like it. Yeah, yeah. So, so good. Robin, your kids—do they eat quinoa? Do they understand? They don't even
5: know what quinoa is. <laughs> but if you serve it to <laughs> them, uh, they eat it, but, but they don't fine, know what it is. Because I figure when they when they reject certain foods because it's a green or a grain, it's just more for me. It's fine. Well, but have they? If you say anything to them, will they eat quinoa? If
2: you They will try
5: try a bite of anything. They really will. They're adventurous to that extent, but then they pretty much reject things that are greener grains. Okay. So (laughs) they're
2: thrown out of the movement.
5: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to have to protest in other ways. Yeah.
2: All right. So here's the reason I say this is that uh, one of the recipes is roasted broccoli and quinoa with curry cashew dressing. I love this recipe. So tell us how this works, Julia.
0: The idea with that recipe is it's sort of building blocks. It's a pot of cooked quinoa, but that could be any, it could be brown rice. It could be white rice, any grain, and then some roasted broccoli because roasting it just makes it sweeter and crispy and delicious. And then this incredibly easy curried cashew dressing, which is just cashews and some curry powder, a little lemon juice and water in the blender. Yeah. so rich and delicious. Oh, that
3: sounds Um, good.
2: Isn't that interesting? Because I thought, oh, how complicated is that? We're talking (laughs) here, Julia's got this set up as broccoli in a bowl. You just drizzle on the olive oil with a little salt. Then you put that broccoli on a hot sheet pan And then meanwhile, while that's roasting, here comes that cashew dressing, which is in a blender, along with a touch of curry powder, as Julia says, lemon juice, and some water. You just blend it up, and then the quinoa gets cooked. You can, if you want, you can cook it in chicken stock or shrimp stock. Fluff it, and on goes the broccoli and the uh, cashew dressing. And that's just nice, and you can do it for a small amount of people, or you can do it for a big crowd because these recipes scale up, right? Exactly, yeah. It's really easy to make big batches if you have a big group of people, or you can make
0: big batches and keep that stuff in your fridge, the quinoa, the broccoli, the dressing, and then just sort of mix and match throughout the week.
2: This is Julia Tertian, and she is author of this small, wonderful little hardback book, which is called Feed the Resistance. Of course, Julia is engaged in a kind of political resistance, thought food would be a good way to feed people who are doing their political work, and hers happens to be about resisting certain policies within the current administration. Yours could be something else. So on the website, foodschmooze.org, cauliflower is one of the new kales. So uh, we have spicy tandoori cauliflower with minted yogurt. Before we go to it, Julia, have you served any of this food to any political gatherings?
0: I have. I'm pretty involved with a local grassroots organization in my community called Citizen Action, and I regularly bring food to their meetings. And I have a whole network of home cooks in my area we make sure all these meetings are supplied with food. And he mentioned earlier, you know, about the friend who has a social justice group and the minute that turned into a meal, you know, how much it's changed. You know, I often think about if you have a bunch of people around a table just talking, you know, it's a meeting. (laughs) But if you put food on the table, it becomes a meal. And and everything changes, you know, the um, Mm -hmm.
1: body Mm -hmm. language changes, the
0: interactions change. And so, yeah, bringing food to political meetings is really helpful. And it just really is a very tangible way to support the important work that's happening that's about supporting communities and about civil rights and
2: Chris Brasberry I,
4: I like the, the recipes have have like soothing kind of quality too and I think in this <laughs> time that's really needed
2: but even within groups where you're supposedly all on the same side of something there are differences we see political parties squabbling among themselves right now and so I wonder if this idea of breaking bread together isn't just a brilliant way to bond in some essential sense so that when you have to get through your differences, different ideas, it's easier somehow. What do you think, Julia?
0: I couldn't agree more. You know, food is something we all have in common. Everyone around the world, you know, we all eat. It's therefore got the real power to bring us together, and it's okay to disagree. But, you know, when we eat together, we can create spaces where we feel safe and comfortable and familiar and, and safe to, you know, maybe be a little uncomfortable and to have difficult conversations and a really amazing things can going to happen over meals.
2: Here's this recipe from Julia's book, Spicy Tandoori Cauliflower with Mintered Yogurt. Indian spices can be intimidating for people, but when you look at this recipe, it's not intimidating. And so what am I talking about? Greek yogurt, and then olive oil and garlic and uh, turmeric and cumin and cayenne pepper for a little snap. Some salt and the fresh cauliflower that you cut into florets. A little squeezed lemon, or you could use lime juice. Uh, some mint leaves and and then what happens? We've got an oven going at around 425. You've got a sheet pan in there, and you want it to heat up with nothing in it.
0: Yeah, exactly. You heat up that sheet pan because a tandoor is, a, is an oven. It's a type of oven that gets incredibly hot. You know, most of us don't have them in our Western kitchens. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just to mimic that kind of heat, you know, mm. you crank up the oven, you get that sheet pan already hot, so when the cauliflower lands on it, you know, it sizzles almost like a skillet. Meanwhile, you mix those spices and aromatics, the ginger and everything into the yogurt and you coat the cauliflower in the yogurt. And then you put that spiced and yogurt coated cauliflower straight onto that hot sheet pan.
1: Mm. Um, And
0: the yogurt becomes delicious. It it sort of makes this coating. It's almost like fried cauliflower without the mess of oil and all that kind of
1: stuff.
0: It just holds all that flavor. It keeps it really nice and tender, but it also gets a little bit crisp. It's just delicious and it couldn't be simpler. And then You take some of that same yogurt, you know, that you have out anyway, and just put that little squeeze of lemon or lime, you know, whatever kind of acid you have around. It could be vinegar. You know, it really doesn't matter. And then just some fresh mint and that cool minty yogurt kind of hits that hot, spicy roasted cauliflower. and. Mm. It's
2: delicious. I, yeah. I'm going to make a lot of noise in my apartment so that the people <laughs> next door move out and you can move in because then I can come over for dinner and have these things all the time. That That's is good. a delicious recipe. I like I like how you think about this. So here's one. I went through the book and I folded down the corner of every page where I, I said, that is delicious. And so here we go again with Julia. It is a sheet pan sausage with potatoes and red cabbage. So in a way, this is just like the Alsatian dish, Chris, with sauerkraut. And uh, and yes, yeah. yeah, it's just like that, except it's on a sheet pan. So I, I love this cabbage that you slice up, a small head of cabbage, and then some potatoes. You Like, let's say Yukon Gold, you cut them in half, and a little olive oil and salt and some uh, sausage. I'm so glad you
0: picked this because it's such a great example. of an easy and comforting recipe. Again, not expensive, really satisfying. And roasted cabbage is delicious and very underrated. Mm. And, yeah, you slice the cabbage and potatoes and you roast them for a little bit because they take a little while to cook. And you start to get them soft and everything. And then you throw some sausages on top and roast them and The extra fat and everything that comes out of the sausage mixes in with the cabbage and potatoes. Um, You have one pan, but everything goes on. It's very easy to clean up. (laughs) I just put the sheet pan on the table, the whole thing. And then, you know, a jar of mustard, maybe (laughs) some horseradish or sour cream, you know, whatever kind of condiments you like. And, especially when it gets cold out. It's such a wonderful dinner. It takes so little effort to prepare.
2: I'm going to nominate Julia for the Nobel Peace Prize <laughs> because what, what greater way to get people to uh, somehow start to open up to each other, agree with each other, listen to each other, than to be satisfied with delicious food? I mean, this is really an ingenious idea. This is Julia Tershyn. Her book is called Feed the Resistance, really good food for small groups or a crowd. If you are gathering to politically resist something or propose other ideas about how things are going, of course, the resistance right now has to do with people, for the most part, resisting certain policies in the current administration. So, um, and that would include (laughs) Julia. Okay. Uh, Julia, red lentil soup, with coconut and cilantro. Now that would be dinner for me. Uh, This is on our website, by the way. Olive oil, some onions, uh, fresh garlic, fresh ginger, tomato paste, some curry powder, chili powder, coconut milk, red lentils, and cilantro. If you like cilantro, you could always substitute parsley if you're in that crowd that doesn't like cilantro. Okay, hard to do, Julia?
0: No, it couldn't be easier. You just quickly cook chopped onion, some fresh ginger and garlic, get them nice and soft, and then you introduce some great flavors through curry powder and chili powder for a little heat and a bit of tomato paste. And then you add red lentils and um, coconut milk. You get this big pot of incredibly beautifully seasoned soup that um, is so fragrant. It's so good for you. It's so affordable. You know, you can serve it as is. You could serve it with a little rice in the bowl, um, bread alongside, maybe like a flatbread. You could put a dollop of yogurt on top, stretch it out in these ways if you want. But it's just, it's so, so good. And it's the kind of thing you can make a huge pot and, you know, just have it in the fridge and, you know, invite a bunch of people over or, Bring it somewhere. um, (laughs) It's just one of the easiest
4: recipes. I like it, too. It's vegetarian. It's vegan. It's it's gluten. It's everything that when anyone comes to you and says, oh, I'd like to come to your party, but I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. And it has that tomato paste, which gives it such good base and the curry powder flavor. If you're not vegetarian, you're not even going to miss it. It feeds everybody with one recipe. Can
2: I jump in there and say, how many of us say we're going to have people to dinner? And we don't because it requires, we think, a certain kind of elaborate approach. And you think about the groups of artists back in the day, and probably still, who didn't have much money and gathered together over a pot of spaghetti, a jug of inexpensive wine and a baguette, Mm. and it cost almost nothing. But the idea was to get together, be together, have some nourishment, and there you go. Everybody was just happy. This is one of those dishes where it is really good, not expensive. You don't have to go to a ton of trouble to have a bunch of people over on a weeknight or a weekend. You can just say, we're doing stew.
4: And you can say it's fancy because people think lentils are fancy. They do? Yeah. They do they? Do <laughs> they? do. Yeah, totally. It's a restaurant owner. I have a lentil soup for us this evening. <laughs> and you can say they're
2: special lentils from, yeah, I don't know where, uh-huh. Singapore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so um, there's in the book a pizza frittata for a crowd. There are a lot of political meetings I would go to get my hands on this. This is angel food bread pudding with butterscotch sauce. Okay, so... Um, whole wheat sandwich bread that's going to be cut up into bite-sized pieces, cinnamon raisin sandwich bread, so you can see how this is going to be really good, condensed milk, which makes everything great, granulated sugar, whole milk, vanilla, ground cinnamon, heavy cream, eggs, and then this easy, easy butterscotch sauce, julia, fire away in the last minute and a half we have. How bad could that be?
0: All that good stuff. It's called Angel Food Bread Pudding because I make it often at this organization called Angel Food East where my wife and I volunteer and it's kind of, you mentioned God's love we deliver. It's very similar and um, for our shift, I've sort of become the de facto baker of the group. And usually I'm tasked with using up things that are leftover. So, you know, leftover fruit and I turn it into a cobbler or a cake, that kind of thing. But there's always leftover bread. So I started making this bread pudding. The recipe is so easy and it's such a great way to use up leftover bread. And it's such a great way to turn something that you think isn't so fun anymore into something so special. So I you know, I had to share it. And you you know, it's making something uh, homemade baked good that doesn't require making a pie crust or a batter or frosting anything. <laughs>
3: How simple is it? Like,
0: nah. Seriously, yeah. if someone
2: came up to me in a van and said I'd like to drive you to the polls to vote and I have this warm bread pudding <laughs> in the van. I mean, honestly, I would be just saying, Oh my God, this I could see is faith in her
4: neighborhood next election. Politically
2: <laughs> She's got it in no, her trunk. She's she... like, anyone want free bread pudding? <laughs> I would in take you pockets. to the polls. <laughs> it honestly it's just such a good idea for organizing people. I don't know why we don't do this more. We've got hot brownies. We've got popovers. If you want people to jump on the bandwagon and feel inspired, this is just a genius idea, Julia. Feed the resistance. Recipes and ideas for getting involved, because there are lots of tips in the book along with these recipes, and there are ways where you can think about your individual involvement making a real difference. Julia, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Keep uh, cooking and keep working. Julia Tertian, Feed the Resistance. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and again at 9 p.m. And then Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. You know our slogan, never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. hey thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule and when you need a little more party in your life we're here online at foodschmooze.org and we hope you'll talk with us on facebook we're at faith middleton food